Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey guys, this is Ress, and this is the Overlook Podcast. So this is going to be kind of a short one because this case did not get the type of media coverage that it deserved. However, because this case was really overlooked by the media, there's not a lot of information out there. Today, we're going to get into the disappearance of Kenny Manuel Naidas Jr. Kenny Manuel Naidas Jr. is a 40-year-old Asian male missing from Radcliffe, Kentucky since May 18, 2005. At the time of his disappearance, Kenny was 23 years old and engaged to be married the following month. Family and friends describe him as a good father who was very close to his children. Now, according to reports, the day that Kenny disappeared, he actually had went out to buy some baby formula and diapers, and around 1.30 p.m., he called his fiance to let her know, hey, he got the stuff and was on his way home. But Kenny never made it home. Now, he was reported missing, and the very next day, his maroon Tahoe was found in a parking lot of a Dollar General and Carbano's Italiana restaurant on South Dixie Boulevard. There were no signs of a struggle at the scene. His family noted a few things that was odd about this day. One, Kenny drove his Tahoe, which was his vehicle that he used when traveling with his kids. Family says that If he was by himself, he would use his car, and his Tahoe was something that he really only drove if he had his family with him. The second thing was where Kenny's car was found. Kenny had no plans of being in that area. He had no plans of going to Dollar General or the Italian restaurant. And the way that his car was found, police said it did not really show which place he may have gone into because they shared the parking lot. But either way, it does not appear anyone remembers seeing him go into either restaurant or store. Now, even though family was worried, when this was reported in the news, it seems like a couple people wondered, well, this is a young man, he's supposed to be getting married soon, could it be that he had cold feet? Now, again, this story was not widely reported on, and in fact, I found very few forums that talked about it, but people wondered, oh, is it possibly he got cold feet? I mean, he's very young, he has a wedding coming up in less than four weeks. But for family, when Kenny missed work, their fears intensified. Kenny was working as a computer technician with UPS, and he had just finished his 90-day probation. He was described as a good worker with great work ethic. And days and days went on, and no one had heard from Kenny. No one had seen Kenny. He had not shown up for work, nor did his family know where he was. Just a few weeks later, in June, his fiance played with the community to just please give the family some type of information. This was just days before what was supposed to be their wedding day. Tips started flowing in and police were following all sorts of leads, but at first it seemed like they were kind of hush-hush on what they were finding. 
Now, the family did say that the police were doing a very good job at keeping them in the loop and letting them know what activities were coming going and actively following up with the family on what was happening in the case. Now, a few months after Kenny went missing, police decided to take a closer look at his car. Now, his car, again, this was the only thing found in this case, but when they found it, there was no signs of a struggle. There was nothing major found in the car that really suggested any big tips or leads, but they did decide to take a relook and the family was informed that other agencies had joined Radcliffe Police Department in regards to this case. But that was all the information family got at that time. They knew his car was being re-looked at and they knew that more agencies were joining in, but they weren't specifically told what agencies were joining in on cracking this case. As always, it's very important to try to get media attention when a person goes missing. You'll see families oftentimes reach out to news stations, bloggers, podcasters, TV shows, things such as this. However, this happened in 2005. The true crime scene, the missing person scene was not as big as it is now. So the only resources they had were to reach out to TV shows like America Most Wanted and news shows. And the family states that they reached out to different television shows, the news stations. But at the time, the only show that even replied back to them was America's Most Wanted. And while family states that America's Most Wanted did reply back to them, in fact, they were the only show or news station to reply back to them. It doesn't appear they actually ever followed up on this case and used this case in any episode, as I could not find any episode with his name in it whatsoever. But this is a problem we'll see a lot of families face when they have a missing loved one, especially when a case does not seem particularly juicy or have certain elements of wealth, of scandal, and things such as this. And another thing that we'll also see is that even when the case starts to get some juicy sound bites and so forth, the problem is when you start seeing things like gang involvement and possible drug involvement, and especially if it's not coming from someone who is seen as being a part of high society where it would be a big major scandal, a lot of times though, families have found that it's harder for them to get media to take their case seriously or try to promote their case. We've talked about this before you're kind of seeing a general theme of people who are brown eh, uh, if there's possible drug connection mm, a lot of places don't want to touch it because we get back into that whole theory of worthy victims and unworthy victims the same thing can be said when we have a woman who is of a lower economic status and we find out hey there may be some elements of prostitution or sex work involved in this case all of a sudden the media gets really uninterested and there's kind of this general feel of oh yes that's a problem for those people now if this very same issues came about and this was someone who was in a higher economic status or someone who was very well known in the community that's when the media wants to pick it up because it's scandalous this is not supposed to be their life this is not supposed to happen to them these certain circumstances are not supposed to fall in line with this sort of case but again once you change the economic status once you change the color of the skin sometimes once you change the gender once you change the sexual orientation those type of things slowly make the media kind of back off the case. 
They might report it once. You might see a little article here or there, but typically those are the type of cases you will see a hundred podcast episodes on. You'll see five different major networks having different TV shows cover and things such as that. And I've talked about this before. I have a big issue with this because one of the things you'll see in the true crime world is people covering the same exact story to the point that it is now just pure entertainment. It's no longer about wanting to help people. It's no longer about wanting to find people. It's no longer about, hey, what can we learn from this? How can we use this to make sure this doesn't happen in the future? No, it becomes a source of entertainment. It becomes a source of, ooh, this is juicy. Everybody knows the Golden State Killer. And it becomes kind of like this ratings generating thing where it's more about trying to catch the audience off guard and who can get the juiciest sin on a case, which again, not judging. I don't want to get into that. But the issue with this is that it leaves a lot of vulnerable populations to fend for themselves. And when we're talking about cases of people going missing, people possibly being murdered, things such as this, you need a large network of people to kind of solve this case. But I digress. Going back to the police, again, they started searching in his car. They brought other agencies in and they were kind of hush-hush originally about why they wanted these other agencies in. And friends were being very supportive to his family at the time. The family told the news enterprise that some even offered to pay for psychics to look into the case. And his mother and father had their own theories about what happened to their son. And they said that they shared it with detectives in like that this would bring some insight into further details that they find out about this case. What exactly they share with the police? I am not sure. I've seen that quoted about two or three times where they said family shared information, but we aren't 100% sure what exactly they told the police. Now, further along in a case, one of the things we find out is Actually, three days after Kenny went missing, two of his friends were arrested. His friends were arrested with trafficking $100,000 worth of marijuana and cocaine. Again, this was just three days after he disappeared. These men were named Victor Brown and Jeffrey Puckett. Now, authorities started putting a theory together once they realized that, hey, these guys were friends with Kenny. And their theory was that Kenny was also involved in this operation and his disappearance was related to this drug operation. Originally, Kenny's family believed that he was staying low and he was hiding out due to all the commotion with things that were going on with his friends and his friend's arrest and the whole drug ring being found out. But detectives have stated that they actually had no hard evidence tying Kenny specifically to the trafficking. They kind of connect him as an afterthought once his friends were found out and it was just so close to the time that he went missing. But it doesn't appear they were actually trying to connect him to the case to prosecute him. And here's the thing. His friends were actually released from prison rather quickly after their conviction. Kenny went missing in 2005 and his friends were free men by May of 2007. I mean, they had got convicted, but in two years they were out there free men and this case was no longer over their head. But still, no one had heard from Kenny. And so the theory of
him hiding out and staying low because he didn't want any connections with the case, it started to make less and less sense. As time went on, the reasons why Kenny's family kept hope alive that he was somewhere hiding out isn't just purely out of family wanting to have faith, out of protection for their own hearts and their own worries. But we find out there's actually some sightings of Kenny all the way up into 2006. In May of 2007, Detective Lieutenant Ralph Craig told News Enterprise Online, and I quote, I can't rule anything out, and we won't. This case has a lot of twists and turns. At one point in time, it was reported that Kenny was seen in Florida. But again, even though we have these tips coming in that Kenny was seen, none of them were actually able to be confirmed. Now, by 2008, the main theory was that Kenny disappeared due to a botched drug deal. Now, this is the same drug deal that got his friends arrested. So, those two friends I was talking about earlier, Victor Brown and Jeffrey Puckett, they actually got arrested because... Victor Brown had called the police. He actually kind of got them caught up and the whole drug operation was found out because of this call. Victor called the police because while out and about, according to him, a group of Hispanic men attempted to kidnap him. Now, he was able to get away and he called the police to report this and slowly as the police investigated, they quickly realized that, hey, this was a drug deal. And of course, it led to them being arrested. And while they were arrested, the men that attempted to kidnap Victor, these men were never found. They were never arrested. They were never charged. That's pretty much the last time we hear about these group of men. But this is why police started leading more towards the theory that Kenny was probably kidnapped in the same manner related to the same things. Victor just happened to get away. But to this day, no one is for sure what happens. Besides the fact that there's a high chance drugs were involved, there's a high chance that there was some type of drug deal supposed to be made, and there's a high chance that this drug deal went wrong, and and that's a big part of his disappearance. Now, no one has said anything definite. No one has said anything for sure. Police have been kind of hush-hush on this case. You'll see police being quoted of saying that, you know, this case had a lot of twists and turns. Unfortunately, few of those details have actually been released to the public. In fact, when you look at this case, you won't find a lot of details. And the details you'll find are the same details being repeated over and over. And I find that fascinating because you have police talking about a lot of twists being in this case, but we don't really know what those twists are. Yes, drugs being involved, a drug ring, possible cartel involvement, kidnapping involvement, those are twists, but they really seem to be tied together and we don't really know what else is involved. We know that The Radcliffe police had other agencies join in, but we don't know if that was the FBI, if that was the DEA. We're not 100% sure. Even families said that they were told, yes, other agencies are now involved, but they weren't giving details. And really, after 2008, you don't really see any new information about this case. Anything you see afterwards, it's just a small blurb that repeats the same information that we got in 2005. And as of now, I can't find any videos on YouTube about Kenny's case. I couldn't find any podcast that really covered this case. And honestly, Charlie's Project probably has the most information on this case that I have seen anywhere. 
even when you search social media, you really don't find a lot of information. This is something you'll see a lot in cases before about 2008, 2009, where Facebook kind of blew up. And it's because we really did not have social media in which we shared news as a main source. Back in this time, the biggest social media platform was MySpace. And we really didn't share news and so forth on MySpace. This family did create a MySpace page. Um, dedicated to finding him. Unfortunately, now in 2021, that page is almost obsolete. It has like two pictures, but it has no information on there. It's pretty much blank, which is the case with a lot of MySpace pages. If you try to go back and find MySpace pages from 2004, 2005 period, but you really can't find this case on social media. You really don't find any information. I saw his case posted on about two or three different missing persons Facebook page where they just reported information and asked that people share, but no one really left any comments. No one left any new information. Now, when I did search his name, I did find it interesting that they did have someone, his name, his age, quarterly living in Radcliffe, Kentucky still. And this is one of those sites that asks like, hey, do you want to find somebody? We have their latest number. This is their last known address. And so I do not believe that that is actually a current thing, though the page said information was current. I think because Kenny has never been declared deceased that they just have that information carried over from where he lived last, his last number and so forth. And they kind of just never took that information off from 2005. Last reported, his fiance did eventually get married and she moved out of state and is living there with their children. And that's pretty much the last thing I could find out about this case. Now, there is an article from 2007 in which it is alluded that he actually very well may still be in hiding and that there's still no evidence to suggest that he is deceased. And one of the things noted on WLKY is that the two friends, Victor and Jeffrey, more than likely knows what happened to Kenny. And that may be why we no longer have updates from the family and so forth. It could very well be that the men know what happened and they just kind of let family know. And it kind of just was settled there as one of those things that the street knows, but police aren't privy to that information. But officially, Kenny Naidas is still declared missing. He's still in a nameless national database and his case is still considered open. In fact, that article that suggested that he may be a hiding, that was from 2007. His name wasn't added to name us the National Missing Person Database until 2008. I ask if you have any information about the disappearance of Kenny Naidas, that you please contact the Radcliffe Police Department at 270-351-4477. Before I close out on today's episode, I did want to give you guys two updates. The first update is on the disappearance of Caitlin Kelly. If you want to go back and listen, I covered her disappearance in episode six. That episode was posted March 7th. Unfortunately, Caitlin was found deceased with her remains being found just 10 days after that recording was released. The Menominee Tribal Police announced that human remains were discovered on the reservation on March 17th. And they were announced to be Kelly's on March 22nd after an autopsy was conducted. Police have not announced the manner of Kelly's death, whether it was a homicide, accidental, or natural causes. 
nor have they released where her remains were found. But her case is actively open and the police are actively investigating. Just a lot of information has not been released to the public. Another update is the update in the case of Wanda Faye Walker. In episode 12, I covered the disappearance of Miss Wanda and her daughter, Larisha, who actually disappeared 17 years earlier before her mother disappeared. Currently, both cases are still unsolved and both women remain missing. However, on October 6, 2021, the FBI has officially stepped into Wanda Faye Walker's case and they are now offering a $10,000 reward for any tips or information that leads to an arrest. Now that the FBI is stepping into the case, we plan to see more of a uptick in that case with more information coming out. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Ms. Wanda Faye Walker, please contact the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or 615-742-7463. Okay guys, that is all the information I have for today's episode. Short reminder that next week's episode will be my last episode for this season. After next week, I will be on a short break into the new year where I will start season two. However, I still will be active on the Instagram. I will be active on the YouTube page. So if you haven't already followed my YouTube page, please do the Overlook podcast. Just type in the Overlook Podcast on YouTube. You'll find it. The same thing can be said for my Instagram. I still will be posting things. I still will be posting reels. In fact, I already have a YouTube episode that I'm currently working on. I already have a reel that's already completed. So keep following the page. I'll still have those things posted. And please be sure to catch up on old episodes during that time. Still share information. Still share people's fires. In the meantime, if you do have a case that you want me to cover, feel free to send me a message on Instagram or you can reach out to me in my email at theoverlookedpodcast at outlook.com. I try my hardest to reply back to everybody quickly, but it just might take me a little bit of time, especially during the intro. Now, other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. As always, stay safe, stay vigilant, and I will be back for my final episode of season one next week. worked hard for what you have your money your assets your 401k and home isn't it all worth protecting nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft lifelock ultimate plus helps protect your finances with up to three million dollars in reimbursement lifelock alerts you to identity threats you might miss and if your identity is stolen your dedicated u.s-based restoration specialist will work to fix it let lifelock help protect what you've worked so hard for save 25 percent off your first year on lifelock ultimate plus at lifelock.com aware terms apply